I have enjoyed being a, a part of this series as we're looking at some of the songs, some of which uh, you've sung all your life, or some of you, they may be new songs. And today, we kind of got the springboard into it by singing I'll Fly Away. But many of you don't know who wrote the song or don't really know that much about him. And quite frankly, the story we have to tell about him this morning is not as dramatic as some we've told. The guys, he had a very mundane, kind of almost a salesman kind of, of name to him, Albert Brumley. Albert Brumley was the guy's name who wrote the song. And it's interesting that he was out in a field picking cotton and this song came to him. And this is what he said. He said, actually, he says, I was dreaming of flying away from that cotton field when I wrote I'll Fly Away. Anybody ever pick cotton? Very few of you, but a few of you have. It, you were probably thinking about I'll Fly Away too, because that is not, there's some stuff that's pretty tough to do, but picking cotton and those cotton bowls and they're poking in your finger, it's just not a fun thing to do. Uh, probably maybe the next thing to that would be picking cucumbers by hand uh, and dragging that heavy bag along behind you. But in a situation like that, he's thinking about escape, which is kind of an illogical thing to think about. And in fact, this song, I'll Fly Away, has been classified in the category of theological escapism. There will not be a test on this, but I thought you might like to know that there's a category for songs like this. Basically, there are songs, it's a genre of songs that say, hey, listen, I am ready to check out here and to check in in heaven. I'm ready to leave behind the toils and the troubles and the tribulations of this life and to go on and to experience the joys everlasting in heaven. Just think about it. Some bright morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. I'm sorry. Or, not over. When this life is over, okay. To that home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. In the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. It certainly sounds like Brumley had an escape plan. He was ready to check out. He was ready to go home. He was ready to experience heaven. Now, some of you have experienced some times in your life and maybe some of you are experiencing some times right now in your life where you wish you could have release from the pain and the struggles and the hardship and the sorrow that you're experiencing right now. And so when we sing songs like this, of course, this is an upbeat, happy-sounding song, but when we sing songs like this, it kind of strikes a chord in us somewhere. If you've ever, uh, we had these experiences. I remember way back in high school in science class, we had an experiment where you hit a, hit a tuning fork, and then you take another tuning fork and bring it along beside that tuning fork. And what would happen is that the one that wasn't struck would pick up the same vibration and begin to vibrate with the same frequency as the one that had been struck. I had an incident like this happen uh, shortly after we moved into the building. I was kind of wandering around, thanking God for what he had, he had provided for us, and I went up towards the front door, and I heard this strange vibration. And it took me a couple of days to figure out what this vibration was. And here's what it was. The machinery at Novellus was going full blast. 
creating a vibration which was picked up by the steel in this building. And there are some songs that we sing because of the theme, they strike a chord with us. And our souls begin to vibrate at a different frequency. And so this is one of those songs, perhaps, and these are those kinds of songs. You'll find these theological escapism songs in Negro spirituals. You'll find them oftentimes in Southern gospel music. And certainly we sing some from time to time here in our own services. But some people have argued that songs like this, songs like I'll Fly Away, they really aren't any, they don't do us any good. They're nice to sing, nice to think about flying away, nice to think about going to heaven, but they're not much practical value here and now. They're too heaven-focused, too otherworldly. There's too much pie-in-the-sky kind of theology and not enough practicality. And that's the thinking. And so this morning, having sung that song, and we prepared to look at what God's Word says to us today, I want us to come together and to think about to think about this, this release, this leaving this world and longing for another world and, and really ask ourselves, is, is that what God wants us to be doing? Is that a practical part of our lives or is that just impractical? Is that just wishful thinking? Does that do us no good and do other people no good because we live and think like that? And So I'll ask God to help us this morning as we pray. Would you, if you'll join me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the time we come together. We're grateful for songs that do strike a chord with us, and we pray, Lord, that it, we simply won't enjoy the songs, but the, the words of the songs will sink deeply into us so that we can better understand. Lord, we thank you for your word, for we know it sets that chord vibrating in a way that our lives are to vibrate along with it. And so, Lord, let us let's kind of analyze things. Let's, let's look at this thinking from Albert Brumley and others, and, and ask ourselves, is this what we ought to be doing? And if so, Lord, how, how ought it to look? And so, Lord, open your word up to us. Feed us, nourish us, strengthen us, and then, Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to this world, the world in which we live, the culture, the people around us, there are two extremes that we as believers could take, both of which I want to say are, are, are not good ways for us to go. The first extreme is that we immerse ourselves so deeply in this world that we become a lot like it. We become like the world. Our lives become indistinguishable from those of our non-believing neighbors and indistinguishable from the culture in which we live. Our priorities mesh up with the priorities of the crowd, not with the priorities of Christ. And there's little, if any, visible, tangible difference between our lives, those of us who wear the label Christian, and the lives of those who do not. Following this path, going this way, going along with the world, well, we end up becoming what the Bible would call carnal or worldly. Christians. That is, we're just wrapped up in the world, indistinguishable from the world. And when that happens, we need to understand this severely damages our Christian witness. When people look at us and go, why should I follow Christ? And they look at your life, 
and they see that your life is no different from their lives, then why should I want to follow? Why should I want to be part of this? In a couple of occasions, I remember a number of years ago, we had a, uh, a, a wife who wanted her husband to come to a class that we were having on marriage. It was taught right here on the floor in here. And everybody came in and they shared their stuff and they shared their struggles. And he went away and he told his wife, she came back and shared this with me. She, he goes, why? Because he wasn't a believer. He said, why should I become a Christian when it sounds like their lives aren't even as good as ours? Because he's thinking about it in a very practical, very pragmatic way. Can our lives become so indistinguishable from the culture around us that it actually works against our witness? I think the answer is yes. Now, the second extreme is this. Not that we indulge ourselves in the culture, but that we attempt to disconnect ourselves completely from the world around us. We become what I, a phrase that I learned in college, we become rabbit hole Christians. What are rabbit hole Christians? I, if, Rab, you know, rabbits get up and they just kind of make a dart, especially out west, those jackrabbits, they make a dart from one safe spot to another safe spot to another safe spot to another safe spot. They don't linger long out in the open. And as believers, we can get like that too. We can have our Bible study group, our small group, our church group, our ladies group, our men's group, you know, our prayer group, and we just kind of run from one group to another without associating with people in between. We recognize, of course, that the world is broken, that the world is sin-filled and sin-stained. And if we take this approach, we do our very best to avoid it entirely, to just escape it, to stay away from it. We try to keep our lives clean from the dirtiness and the culture, but if we do that, think about it, if we do that, then we can't really be following in the footsteps of Jesus. If you haven't read your Gospels lately, read your Gospels and find out the kinds of places that Jesus went and the people that he associated himself with. The Pharisees anticipated that he would, if he was really a godly man, he would hang around with them in their holy huddles, in their rabbit hole, and do what they do. But instead, Jesus was out in the street and he was communicating and talking and rubbing elbows with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with all kinds, all variety, all variety of sinners. And that's where Jesus found himself. And so if we choose this way, then we may ourselves become accidental Pharisees. And our witness to the world is also severely damaged. So neither of these two examples enables us to, to do what, what God has called us to do, and that is to connect with people in a way that expresses the love of Jesus for a lost humanity in the hopes of bringing them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So somehow, somehow we must live in Christ and for Christ while living in a world that is often opposed to Christ. That's our calling, to live in Christ and for Christ in a world that is opposed to Christ. We must live lives that are distinctly different from the world without completely disassociating ourselves and separating ourselves from the very people who need the love of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, 
We must follow the example of Jesus. And that means getting our hands dirty while keeping our hearts pure. How does that happen? There's an expression, you've probably heard it, too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. That's an expression. I've heard it for years. It's kind of a familiar thing to a lot of people. And the intent is that a person can be so focused on heaven and the things of God that for all practical intents and purposes, they aren't any good to anyone around them. They're constantly in church meetings. They're constantly in prayer meetings. They're constantly doing religious stuff but they aren't connecting with anybody in the world. They're not making a difference in the world. They're not being a positive influence on the culture around them. I don't think, honestly, that statement is true. I believe with all my heart that someone who is truly heavenly-minded will be the most earthly good. I want you to hear me. I believe that someone who is truly sincerely and genuinely heavenly-minded will do the most earthly good. So think about that with me this morning. John chapter 14, we want to look at the first three verses. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and that'll be our springboard. There'll be some other scriptures we'll touch on. Not all of those are going to be in your handout, so you may want to write them down so you can go back and look at them a little bit later. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus talking to his disciples about the time that he is leaving them. And they didn't like it too much. In spite of everything else he said, they were distraught over this. And so Jesus comes and he speaks to them in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their fear, and he speaks to them a promise. He gives them hope. He says, listen, I'm going away and I know that disturbs you but I am going away for a purpose. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, my promise is, you can count on this, that I will come back and take you to where I am. Now, that's the promise. That's the hope. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me to the place that I have personally prepared for you. He spoke this hope into troubled hearts. He speaks that same hope today into troubled hearts. This afternoon, I ask you to pray. I will be officiating at the funeral. of a 17-year-old young man who drowned last Sunday. He's the same young man that we saw smiling and shaking hands and connecting with people here over the last couple of months. How do I speak into that situation? What do I have to say? Those are, that is, that is a, a, a room that will be filled 
with troubled hearts. And the only good news that I have to bring, the only message that I, ha- I can bring is the message of hope in Jesus Christ. The same hope He promised to His disciples, the same hope He promises to us, the same hope He promises to all who trust in Him. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And there's going to be a day when I come and take you back to be with me. When we hold this truth in our hearts and we keep it forefront in our minds, this promise not simply of a place, heaven, but of a person, Jesus, how can we help but live our lives in such a way that it honors God and it blesses people? If we keep that in our minds, that we have a Savior who loved us and died for us, who's going to prepare a home for us, and will come back one day to take us to be with Him, if we hold that in our hearts, if we keep that in our minds, there's no way that we could be too heavenly-minded to do any earthly good. Because with heaven on our minds and the King of heaven in our hearts, our lives will overflow with gratitude and with the goodness of God. They cannot help but do that. This world is a broken place. You don't have to look very far to see that. And although you and I are to work to make this a a, a better and a, a kinder place, we know that this world was not what God made it to be. As as nice as this looks, we aren't in the Garden of Eden, folks. We live in a sin-stained, broken, fallen world, and all creation cracked along with it. And so we have all kinds of heartaches and griefs and and challenges that come to us day in and day out. But we also have a promise that in Christ we are reconciled to God. That which was broken has been put back together. And now that we have found this right relationship with God, we long for the completed work of Jesus. Jesus said, listen, The Bible says, He who began a good work in you, that is Jesus, He who began a good work in you will take it on to its completion in Christ Jesus. He's not going to leave it halfway done. When I go out to my workshop, which is cluttered and stuff just gets dropped in there, and one of the things I discover are projects that are half done. Any of you have any half done projects? Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus has no half-done projects. What He starts, He finishes. And that's our hope. That is what we cling to. And as we come back into fellowship with God, we long for the day when God will put all the pieces back together rightly. And we start to become homesick. As I wrote that down or typed it in, the the song Sweet Beulah Land came to mind, that line out of there that says, I'm, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. How can you be homesick for somewhere you've never been? And yet, because Christ is in us, we have a longing to go and to be with Him, to go to a home where we've never been before, but one which has been promised to us. Paul puts it this way. 
For in this tent, this, this human body we live, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. While we're here, there's something in us that's vibrating on the same frequency as heaven itself, and we are longing for the day when we can go and be there. And I want you to miss what Paul says in just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And listen, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Think about this, because this is important for us to hear. We're not just to sit around and contemplate heaven. There are times to do that, okay? There are times to sit around and think about the glories of heaven. Otherwise, it would have just been a complete secret to us, okay? But there are times, and we can, we can think about the, the, the gates that are cut of a single pearl. We can think about the streets that are like translucent gold. We can think about a time where God will wipe every tear from every eye, and it's okay to do that. But we're not just to do that. We are here for a purpose. We are here for a reason. And so Paul expresses, I've got this deep longing for heaven. I want to shake off these limitations and irritation and humiliations in this life, and I want to go home. But as long as God gives me life and breath, He's got a purpose for me here. And you need to hear that this morning. As long as God gives you life and breath, you have a purpose here. He expresses that again to the believers in Philippi. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in this flesh, that means a fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And then he wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then, of course, as we thumb all the way back to the end of the book, and we read there in Revelation chapter 22, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon, and our response, Amen, Come. Lord Jesus. That's our longing. That's our desire. That's our heart. And the closer we draw to God, the more we begin to vibrate in that same heavenly frequency. The more our desire is to be just to let go of this and to be there. But while we are here, even with this promise and this hope of a home, while we are here, we have a mission. We have a calling, and we cannot forsake that just to gaze off into the clouds. You see, we are not simply recipients of hope. We are called to be givers of hope. We are not simply those who receive it. We are called to give it away. 
we can and we should sing, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. That That's right. But when we sing it, we must do so with a stubborn commitment to call everyone around to come with us. You see, I don't want to fly away alone. There's going to come a day when God, when this life is over for me, for some it comes, unfortunately, at a very young age. For some it comes at a very old age. But it's coming. We all know it. The only thing, I, I learned this, it took me a long time to learn this, but as I thought about every funeral message that I have preached over the course of the last 25 years, every one of them has a single, simple outline. Life is precious. Death hurts hurts those who are left. And there is hope in Jesus. That is the message I have received, and that is why I can put my head on the pillow at night and know that if I do not wake up in the morning, if for some reason that's it for me, I know I have a home in heavenly places prepared not with human hands, prepared by Jesus Himself for me, and I have a promise that if I don't make it through the night, that he will come himself and get me and take me home. That is a hope we can celebrate, but a hope that we need to share. This world is in desperate need of hope. Take a look around, folks. This is a messed up place. It is in desperate need of hope. And that hope is not in the next segment of Oprah Winfrey. That hope is not in the next book to come down the pike that hits the number one bestseller list. That hope is now and will always and only be in Jesus. We must have an anchor for our hope or we will be adrift in this world of hopelessness. That anchor is Jesus. And far too many of, uh, many of us as believers, we neither treasure the hope that we have now, nor do we have a heart to share it. And if that's the case, there's something desperately wrong. So this morning I want to come and I... If you need the hope of heaven in your heart, you don't have that. You, you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't put your head on the pillow at night and know that tomorrow, if you didn't wake up here, that you'd wake up in the arms of Jesus. You simply don't have that confidence and you want it. Then I want to encourage you today to come and receive it. You have a Savior who loves you, who died for you, who rose again for you, and who waits for you to come. If you have had that hope, but somehow the, the bright flame of that hope has just kind of died to embers, that the thought of going to be with the Lord doesn't excite you, and the thought of serving Him here doesn't excite you, and you recognize there's something wrong. I have wandered off somehow, and I need to come back. Then I invite you to come. The Lord waits for you. He's ready to restore and renew and rebuild in you. If you need a church that both delights and declares the hope of Jesus, then I invite you to come. Because this is what we believe. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the only way to the Father. I'm your only hope. We believe in that hope. But we're also committed to sharing that hope. And if you need a church like that, then perhaps Grace Fellowship's the place for you. And I want to join what, what Caleb has said earlier and what so many of you are already doing and ask that you would pray. Because one of the things that we will be sharing during our Vacation Bible School this week is we're going to share, well, look at this, hope. We're going to share hope with kids and hopefully parents who desperately need the hope that is only found in Jesus. And if you need that hope today, I invite you to come. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for speaking into our lives, for speaking words of hope. And Lord, I pray that if there are those who need this hope, who can't any longer live without it, then I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, if there are those who need a new start, a new beginning, I pray today could be that start. There are those who need a church home, a place to belong and to become. Lord, I pray that we could be that place for them and they could be the member that we need. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do, our answer is simply yes. We're willing and ready even this moment. For we pray it in Jesus' name.